the hardest part about about playing professional sports is because one week you're player of the week the next week you're like we're gonna trade this guy because he sucks so it's just like it's just i think that what you said about having that belief in yourself that you can always turn a situation around and just always know that there's tomorrow like if you did bad Mm -hmm. today there's tomorrow. And even yeah. on a smaller basis, there's always the next play. You, you messed up on a play, there's always next play where you can do something better. Hello, and welcome to Before the Lights podcast, true stories behind high performers. I'm your host, Brittany Wilson. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Andre Shinishiki. Andre is a Brazilian soccer player who currently is playing for the Colorado Rapids in the MLS. Andre played D1 soccer in the U.S. for the University of Denver, where he racked up multiple Player of the Year awards. After his first year of professional soccer in the MLS, where he was drafted in the first round, Andre was named the MLS Rookie of the Year after seven goals and 31 appearances. Going into his 2020 season, things are looking a little different. Andre and I speak about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affecting him, as well as the multiple trials that he's endured to get where he is today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Again, if you do, it would help so much if you screenshot this, share it on any of your social media outlets. Tag myself, Brittany One Wilson, and Andre. Thanks so much. Let's get to it. All right, Andre, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's nice to finally have you on for an interview. Yeah, thank you for having me, Brittany. I appreciate that. Totally. So you're in Denver right now. You're playing for the Rapids. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Obviously, we're both on break, can't really do much. But um, what have you been doing? Who have you been playing with for the last year? And and how are you kind of getting through this time in quarantine? Well, yeah, obviously, my first year in the league was was very fun. And, you know, I was super, super, super excited for the second year, which was this year. Mm -hmm. Our team was looking good. We had a good thing going. We won our first two games. And then, obviously, with uh, coronavirus, everything stops. And it just changes a lot of of your mentality and how you perceive, Mm -hmm. like, life in general. I think everybody's (laughs) kind of wondering what's going to happen. But... Personally, for me, it's just trying to, you know, stay, stay safe, obviously, but also like find ways to stay happy and sane and yeah, just ways that we can all as a community help each other to, to just really, you know, stay in the best state of mind as possible. I know I've been working out in my balcony with Declan, <laughs> who's my teammate. We've also gone on runs and it's obviously not ideal. You don't get to like play soccer, which is what we'd love to do the most, yeah. but at this point in time, there's not much we can do other than just trust the people on the front line of this and trust that they're going to do their job so that we can come back to playing as soon as possible. Yeah, totally. You talked about staying happy, and I've been talking to a few people about this. Um, I don't know if you feel this way too, but I feel like, you know, we're doing the workouts, we're doing the running, all this different stuff, and it's hard to kind of get the rewards of being in the training environment and seeing your progress. How have you dealt with that and you – you said you want to keep, you know, keep staying happy, stay in the yeah. same mentality that you're in. What what ways are you doing that? I think it's super hard because you work, I mean, at least how it works in professional soccer is you work all week so that you can play in the weekend in front of, I don't know how many thousand people. And that's really the the most fun part of the week is when you're, you know, if playing in front of a bunch of people, playing in front of your fans. And we don't get that right now. So to me, it's just finding other ways where you can, have that dopamine injected in your brain, you know? So for me, it's been just playing ping pong with Declan, honestly. We play like nice. hours of ping pong every day and we get competitive about it and, you know, it, get, it, gets, it gets us going and it's something that's super fun. So 
that's been like our go-to activity. It's kind Do you have of a table like in your room? Yeah, I have a, we have a table in our, in our apartment. And yeah, <laughs> instead of buying a dinner table, we just got a ping pong table because we don't really eat dinner. <laughs> we don't have a, really, so really have family dinners. So yeah. we got a ping pong table. We play a lot of ping pong. And, and that's been one of the ways that we found that, you know, we can just just stay happier and just find something to get competitive about because obviously we're very competitive people. Yeah. Who's better? De- Declan's better than me. I, I, really? I, I'm, I mean, I have my Asian roots, but they're still not helping <laughs> me for the ping pong. It's, it hasn't oh, no. been, I'm not, I, I'm pretty good, but he's just very good. He's played his whole life. <laughs> so it makes it kind of hard, but I got, I'm proud to say that I'm better a chef than him. So I make our okay. meals. He just cleans the kitchen. So oh. it's, it's a good balance. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have a good thing going. Um, So going back, I want to hear a little bit more about your story. And I know there's a lot of people, you know, that might be listening to this that have similar um, upbringings as you and want to come to the U.S. and play soccer, want to pursue a soccer career just like you did. So tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you came from, and then coming to the U.S. to play soccer. So, okay, so I was born and raised in Sao Paulo, Brazil uh the one of the biggest cities in the world it's just chaotic it's cars everywhere it's traffic there's always something going on it's you know it's just like a crazy city and it's like you're always buzzing it's not like you're from a suburb where you can like go out of your house and just be calm and everything is Mm -hmm. good in sao paulo there is no time to chill you're always up to something there's always something going on there's always it's always loud it never sleeps so i'm from like literally the city of Sao Paulo. So I was kind of born and raised into this whole environment of always having something going, always having people around me. I was born, I was born and raised in an apartment, which I know it's like uncommon for, for some people in the US, but it's like when you don't have enough space in the city, you just have to build vertically. So mm-hmm. that's how Sao Paulo is. And it's just a, a crazy city. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my, my dad and my mom really worked really hard to be able to provide for, for, for our family. And so I had a comfortable lifestyle kind of growing up and yeah, just, just coming from a city like that, it's just, you, you see so much because you know, it's a very unequal city. It's like, there's very rich people. There's very poor people. They're all mixed in together. Mm-hmm. And so just coming from that reality is kind of just eye opening because you see a little bit of everything. You don't like, you're not able to let, really live in a bubble like in other places. Yeah. So I think that that's something that was really cool from where I grew up. Hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. And like you talked about how, you know, the cultures are so different, but also how the soccer is so different. So what were the big differences between, you know, the culture, but also, you know, the game that you played when you moved to the US? Yeah, so, I mean, soccer is is crazy in Brazil, like every little kid that, that, you know, it's, they're born, like their parents give them a soccer ball, they give them a team to root for. Mm -hmm. It's, it's ingrained in the culture. It's crazy. Like, I bet if you ask anybody from Brazil, like, have you ever, like, played soccer at least one time when you were growing up? And they're like, yeah. yes, like, everybody just plays soccer. It's a cultural thing. It's almost similar to what basketball and football are here in the U.S. You know, every kid wants to be a soccer player in Brazil. Yeah. And so when you live with that, like, kind of pressure on you, it's, like, super hard because as you start getting older, people start to ask, like, oh, like, what do you want to do? And you're like, you want to say, I want to be a soccer player, but, but everybody wants to be a soccer player. So it's, like, almost impossible to make mm-hmm. it. And in the U.S., it's it's more like relaxed. It's a little bit more like yeah. soccer 
people play soccer because they want to have fun because it's a fun sport to play yeah and because when you're little kids you like you have a lot of energy and you like to run so soccer requires a lot of running so you just go out and run mm-hmm. and i think a pretty big difference too is because in brazil the there's a lot of a uh, lot of poverty and a lot of poor people and so mm-hmm. those people really need soccer to really change their lives mm-hmm. and i feel like in america a lot of the people that play soccer don't come from those same those same backgrounds and that's kind of a generalization but yeah. I feel like a lot of the people from what, what like the Brazil is like the favelas or here it's like the less fortunate people is like, they usually go for like basketball or football. So I think that those two differences are, are yeah. really massive in terms of how the sport is perceived in both countries. Yeah, totally, totally. How did how did soccer evolve for you? So when you played in Brazil, obviously, you know, you grew up around people, everybody was playing it. Did you know that it was something you wanted to pursue? And how was your soccer career when you were in Brazil versus when you came to the United States? So when I was in Brazil, I was, I mean, I, I used to, I mean, I'm not tall now, but I used to be very, very short. Like I took like medications to get taller mm-hmm. and yeah, because I was super short. I was super skinny. Like, I used to just get bullied on the field. So, naturally, when I went to, like, trial for, like, the good teams in Brazil, I used to always just get kicked off. Like, they'd never accept me. They'd be like, oh, you're not big enough or you're not, like, fast enough. Just just things like that. And yeah. it's just it's hard to hear all those things and still tell, like, other people that, oh, I want to be a soccer player. Hmm. So, in Brazil, I never really got to play for the, the big – the big clubs, especially in Sao Paulo, which they have four main clubs. It's Palmeiras, Santos, Corinthians, and Sao Paulo. Okay. Those are the, the, the four biggest clubs. And I never got to play for any of those clubs. And not even, like, the mid-major type clubs. I did really? try out those, too. And, like, they never accepted me. I used to stay there for a week. They'd be like, oh, sorry, like, you have to leave. And I'd be like, I'd be like bummed. Huh. It'd be kind of sad. So I used to play for these, like, small clubs close to, like, my house. And they used to play in the same league as those teams, but they used to get trashed like 8-0, 9-0, <laughs> 10-0. Oh, wow. So it, used to be kinda, it used to be just kind of like the laughing stock, you know. So okay. we were, I, I, that's the, the clubs I used to play for. But uh, when I was like 13 or 14, I started to get like get a little bit better. I, I started to just develop and, and really start to try a little bit harder. Yeah. Because obviously when, I, when you're growing up, you like have distractions. You don't like really want to train you want to do other things and I was kind of in that in between of like do I really want to play soccer or do I just want to like do other things like Mm -hmm. you know go after like partying or like Mm -hmm. all all the other distractions that like a 15 year old in Brazil has yeah I decided to there was one point when I was in Brazil that I decided to give up on soccer I was just like I don't want to play anymore really so I quit all the teams that I was playing for and I was just like I'm done this is a good feels fun and but like I don't want to play anymore I just just kind of gave up on it. But then my mom was like, you should just play like on the weekends, just like go to this club that you can just play on the weekends and just stay, stay on track there at least. So you like at least playing some type of soccer. So she'd like push me to do that. Okay. And it was a club I was already playing for. So I was like, okay, I'll just stay. I'll go like Saturday on Sunday. I'll play there. I don't have to do anything during the week. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And then the opportunity came to play it, to play with that club, a tournament in Europe. They were like, Oh, we're going to bring everybody to Europe and play and blah, blah. And I was wow. like, Oh, that's fun. Go to Europe to play. Like I don't even have to train. I just go to the weekends and play. Yeah. Like, that's fun. So that's yeah. what I did. I was like, okay, I'll do that. That's that that should be fun. That's what I'm gonna do that. Yeah. And then I went to this tournament in Europe and like I started meeting people there and eventually mm-hmm. met somebody 
who was like, dude, I think you're like really good. I think that you can develop a lot. And he invited me. He knew the coach at Malvert Academy, who was where I actually ended up in Orlando. And he's like, man, I think you should like give it a shot. And I was like, oh, that's great. I mean, it's a good opportunity. But I never thought about soccer in the U.S. because I just didn't know anything about it. Huh. And so that's when I eventually I ended up meeting Mike Potempa and the whole Mount Verde Academy system. And I was originally only going to go there for one year, but then mm. the rest, it just kind of happened. But it was just crazy because I literally like the day this guy talked to me, like five days later, I was in America, like with my life entirely changed. So no it was way. a huge gamble that I took and my parents were like supportive of me. So it was good, but it was just kind of weird to like leave Brazil and like really just take five days to like think about. Yeah, there's a lot of digging that goes into all the little things that you mentioned about your path too. I mean, from being shut down by the clubs you wanted to play for to picking up all your stuff and moving to a new country. That's unfathomable for some people, especially myself. Like I've been in Colorado my whole life. The farthest yeah. I've gone is Orlando this year. So <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Um, So Going back to, you know, being a pretty active player, but not being super into it, getting shut down by those clubs, what kept you going? I know your mom, you mentioned Mm -hmm. your mom getting you involved in the weekends and stuff, but I mean, there had to be an element of you believing in yourself. What kept you going to believing that, you know, soccer might still be a big passion for you? Yeah, it was like, because I, you know, I'm like, there's people hate about talking about like Zodiac signs, for example. Uh-huh. My mom was super into it. And my dad really? is super into it. Like, dude, like you're a Gemini. So you're always changing quick. <laughs> like you always, you're like so indecisive of what you want to do. But soccer has been the one thing that you've never been indecisive about. It's the only thing that stuck mm. with you throughout your whole life. Okay. And I was like, I mean, that's like kind of true. And they were like, tell me like, just like stick with it. Like just a little bit. Like, I think it might pay off. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, like, I agree. Like, I do love soccer. And the reason I wanted, I, just, I like, quit soccer really was because I found out, like, the whole other side to life, which was, like, huh. partying and, like, going yeah. out with girls and, like, oh, my God, you're, like, in, like, close to getting to high school and, like, everybody is going out and they're all, like, talking and it's, like, yeah. oh, my God, like, I want to be in that. So that's why, like, I decided to quit soccer was because I found out all this other side to, like, whole <laughs> life that I hadn't experienced before. Yeah. But then I used to always have a lot of fun in the locker room with the guys, like when mm-hmm. I was in the locker room. That was like, it was all, always so fun. And it was a time where I really felt like I could be myself. Yeah. And so I was just like, I mean, that's like, I can stick with doing that. I mean, it's really just the weekends. And there used to be times, and I'm not proud to say that, but that I would like go out on Friday and like not even sleeping, like show up to the game the next day. Oh my like, gosh. It's completely like just without a single hour of sleep and my mom would be like i don't care like just go and play like it's it's fun and it used to be super fun i used to like play well because it was like a weekend league so it wasn't that serious okay but, you know i used to be used to be super fun and that's wow. kind of why i decided to, to stay with it i mean okay. when i when i when i went to europe i wasn't really thinking like anything of like playing professionally or nothing nothing at all wow okay and then i just decided there's, there's this opportunity to come to america and i was like it's an opportunity for me to really just be myself because I'm going to be on my own. It's a, it's an opportunity to find myself a little bit more. I was yeah. really, I was doing really bad in school at the time, which it was, was not my like case at all. I used to always be super good in school, huh. like, like really good student. And then that really, year, I just kind of fell off with the school. We started like missing classes. And then huh. after that, really that summer, which was when that summer in Brazil or summer here, which is winter in Brazil, which is July. 
Okay. I was just like, I'm not playing in Brazil. I'm not really doing anything productive with my time. So might as well go to the United States and see like how that turns out. So that was really wow. why I decided to come. It was kind of okay. like, this is my one last shot. Let's see what happens. Yeah. <clears throat> did that decision, how long did that decision take to make? I mean, you said you moved pretty quickly, but were there any fears or anything that held you back making that decision coming to the US? So it was, it was an interesting because I was just kind of, I've always been like really independent. And so for me, I was just like, oh, this is a really chance for me to like, see if I can live by myself. And like, hmm. I know some people fear a lot of moving away from home, but I was just like, like that might be kind of cool to leave a year by myself and like see like how is life when I have all this freedom and stuff. It turns out Mount Verde is a boarding school that was way more strict than my parents. <laughs> so it was not what I thought it was going to be at all. Oh, no. But, but it was, it was like the decision was like the guy, I think the guy talked to me like halfway through the, the trip in Europe. He was like, Hey, like, is that something you're interested in? And I just said yes. And didn't really think much about it. Yeah. So then I scored a goal. He literally sent a video of one goal to the coach at Mount Verde. And, and the coach was starting this new program. Okay. And he was like, I mean, yeah, this kid looks good. I mean, I don't know anything about him, but I'll take a gamble on him. Wow. And he offered me, he offered me like a pretty good scholarship because Montford Academy is a very, very expensive school. Wow. So then, so then the guy came back and was like, hey, this is the offer. Like, I have the offer here. And it was yeah. like already August. So schools in the U.S. start, I think the high school was like already starting. So I didn't have okay. much time to decide. Wow. And so I was just like, like, I don't know, like, what am I going to do? Yeah, I, started, I, I was like contemplating like should I move away like I had a girlfriend at the time like I didn't want to leave oh. her I was just like so I so so like so just so overwhelmed by the idea yeah but then I decided I was like I'm gonna pull the trigger I've always been pretty impulsive so I was like I'm just gonna <laughs> do it and like see what happens yeah and my dad my dad was supportive of it he was like yeah I think you should do it I think it'll be good for you because they also wanted me to play soccer so they were like kind of pushing me to to do that yeah. And but they only they thought it was just gonna be one year and then I would come back. Yeah. But I never came back to this day. Wow. That was, 20, that was 2013. So. Oh my gosh. And they they like they don't regret like sending me here, but they definitely like we definitely miss each other. Oh. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so when you moved to the U.S., how different was it? You're on your own. You're playing soccer. The soccer is probably different. What were the hardest parts of of being on your own and being in that new environment? So there was, so mom is very important to explain how Montverde Academy works because it's mm -hmm. very particular. So okay. it is a very, very strict boarding school. Like okay. you have to wear a certain uniform every single day. And if you, you wear something wrong in your uniform, you have, you get hours. If you're caught with your phone, you get hours. If you're not speaking English in class, you get hours. And those hours are hours you have to pay working for like the school. So you have, wow. you can either work in the cafeteria, you can work like, in the garden you can work you have to work your way out of those hours and okay. as long as you have hours you can't train huh. so you are really like you're there for soccer but you have to do everything perfect in order wow. to be able to play soccer so i got there like they gave me all this uniform and i'm like i'm wearing this uniform like i've never had to like wear a belt in my life like <laughs> what is going on right now it's kind of like freaked out but at the same time I, I i and i didn't think this at the time because i don't think i really valued it but I, I had no distractions. I didn't, I couldn't leave the school. Yeah. I couldn't like, you couldn't even like kiss a girl or hug a girl in, <laughs> in around campus. It's like super strict. You'd get so, hours. <laughs> you could have you get hours. You get, if you caught with your phone, like on you, like it doesn't have to be like, 
using your phone. If it's like, if they see it through your pocket, no you get way. like 18 hours. You have to pay 18 hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah, if, that'll if get caught. Like, for example, get caught cheating on an exam. It's like you get 24 hours and like a suspension. Like it's, they're a very strict school. Wow. But, and so I get there and I'm like watching all of this and I'm just like, it's oh, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. What am I going to do? And the one thing that was good for me was that my parents used to make me take English classes. So when I got there, it wasn't like English was a completely random language. I kind of knew how to speak it. So that helped me a lot because I could talk to everybody. It wasn't like I was just a deer in headlights. Yeah. That was something that like was, I'm thankful to this day because I used to hate going to English class. I used to like school in the morning, train, go back to English class. I used to hate it. And then but I was grateful for it when I got to Mount Verde because I was like, damn, like, this is actually, like, pretty useful. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, then I got to Mount Verde and just uh, that's kind of how it is. The school, and you, like, you have to be on time, super, like, if you're a middle age, six hours. It's, like, very strict. Yeah. You get my point. So then when I, got, when I got there, like, I started training, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, there's 100 kids here that play soccer. They're all, they're, like, 50 kids are sick. 50 kids are not as good. But, mm-hmm. like, they're going to make a bunch of different teams, and I just want to see where I end up. So I ended up, like, breaking my toe, like, on the, like, two weeks into the, into the school year because I was jumping on a lake. Like, no. broke my toe, and I couldn't even be jumping on the lake. So, like, it was, ter- like, it was terrible. And then Perfect. I had to tell the coach I had to, like, stay, like, a month without even, like, touching the ball. So I go there for soccer. I can't touch the oh. ball the first month. So, great. I'm, like just starting off as a great experience. Then I got sick. I started having like strep throat and I was just like, it was the lowest of lows. Just like, I'm there without my family. I have nowhere to go. Ugh. The school won't even let you miss class unless you're, ha- unless you're like dying. So it was, no. I was just, it was a bad, it was a bad stuff. Yeah. And then I finally healed from the toe and like started kind of go back to playing. I played for the high school team, which like wasn't the best team. And then I was like, okay, this is fun. Like I played my first year. And then kind of like in January was when I really started to like get like take off. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when did college soccer become a reality for you? And, and was that your goal when you came to the U.S. in the first place? Yeah. So the goal wasn't really to go to college. The goal was to stay one year, go back to Brazil, keep okay. going with my life there. Gotcha. And so we play on the national high school tournament, which is called like the MAST. We host mm-hmm. it. So that was a good thing. And so I played, I started it my junior year, which was in January when I started to like get better, but we had so many sick players on that team. Like we had, Mm -hmm. I think eight out of the 11 players go D1. So like five of them went to the ACC. So like the team was sick and I, and I was a junior. So I was just like, Oh, nobody was going to look at me as a junior. So, and it was crazy because this guy, there was one guy who I knew who came up to me. He's like, dude, Denver's looking at University of Denver. And I was like, Denver like what is that I didn't I didn't know the city of Denver I didn't know the university of Denver I didn't know anything Mm -hmm. and he told me that and it just stayed with me in the back of my head but I was just Mm -hmm. I'm gonna move on in my life this is January my junior year like usually people here don't commit to their senior year so I'm just gonna like I'm gonna chill yeah so then I start to like play better and better because I'm like training I I become obsessed about training like I'm a mom right I have nothing else to do so I'm just gonna train Saturday, yeah. Sunday, after training, I'm training. Like, I'm just, I'm just obsessed with training. I'm just obsessed yeah. with becoming the best. And then I come back to Brazil for the summer, and I'm, like, feeling myself. I'm like, dude, I'm actually, like, really good. Like, I yeah. think I, I have a shot at, like, playing in the high, at, like, at a higher level. Mm-hmm. Then when I get to Brazil, my, uh, my dad is like, hey, do you want to go on a trial for Sao Paulo, which is one of Brazil's best teams that I already gone to and gotten kicked off. 
Mm. It was like that. I'm going to go there again, like stay there for a week. They're going to kick me off again. It's like, it's going to be a nightmare. Uh It's like, just try it. Like it's a week of your like entire summer. You're just going to have to go there. It's like, okay, sure. And he, my dad is like pushy. Like he really pushes (laughs) once. He doesn't like make me, but he's like psychiatrist. He's always playing with my head. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So then he got me to go. I go there for a week and everybody knows that in some, like for this club, especially you go there for a week. If they don't like you, they're going to kick you off. And if they like you, they might let you stay another week. Huh. So then I go there on Friday. It's my last, it's supposedly my last day. Yeah. I train. They don't say anything. They just say, come back Monday. Hmm. I'm like, Oh, okay, sure. I'll come back Monday. That's, that's fine. So then two weeks go by. They don't say anything. I keep going three weeks and they're already playing the tournament. So I'm kind of in the, like, I'm kind of in the middle of nowhere. Cause I'm just training. I'm not really playing. Huh. Okay. So I'm, I just keep going. It's been like a month and a half almost. And I'm like, dude, there's still, like, I'm still here. Like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I'm playing well. Like, these guys, like, I actually, like, like playing with me. So this is, like, kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So I talked to my dad. I'm like, dad, you're the one that set this up. So go talk to the guy and see, like, what the deal is. Like, I was 15 at the time. So when you're 15 in Brazil, they already, like, either sign you or they don't. There's no oh, really wow. in between. So you really get a contract and you're with the club or you don't have a contract and you're just, like not with a club or whatever i guess i was okay. 16 at the time but it was like under 15 and under 17 i was in between gotcha and that's when they were like oh we don't really want to like give you a contract but we'll keep you here for another two months and if you're good enough then we'll sign you to a contract huh that was like one of the biggest decisions of my life was to like oh go back to Montverde, where i i knew certainly what was going to happen like i was going to go back i was going to go to college and everything Mm-hmm. or stay in Sao Paulo, which it was kind of uncertain if they're going to give me a contract or if they really yeah. like me or not. So it was like, I was very uncertain and it was like a really hard decision for me to make. Yeah. My dad was pushing me hard to stay in Brazil because like, if you, if you knew the magnitude of what Sao Paulo is in Brazil, like it's one of the biggest clubs. It, like okay. so many good players have come from there. Yeah. Then it was, he was like, dude, I think you should stay. He was like, oh, he almost, he was almost like, I'm not going to let you like leave this. Like, really? This is crazy. And so it was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. And it was like, okay, I'm going to go back to Mount Verde because like it's where I became so much better. So like, why would Mm -hmm. I leave a place where I just improved so much? Yeah. That's when I decided to like come back for my senior year. Wow. That's crazy. Like, not throwing away the opportunity, but having that presented to you because of that. And, and then honestly, make- all my friends were, like, so mad at me. They were, like, you're so <laughs> stupid. Like, I can't believe you're doing that. Like, you're, like, actually insane. I would oh never be able to do that if I were you. But to me, I just kind of, like, had – it was just, like, instinct almost. Like, I, yeah. something about, like, going to the United States is just – like, maybe if I stayed in Sao Paulo, I could have become a pro in, like, two years. Here, it yeah. took me like another five. But, yeah. but it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the things that are coming up in your story are just like you making those decisions to put yourself in those um, those spaces to just, you know, like go and try it, even though you don't know the outcome. And I think that's a really big thing for people that are trying to make it professionally or even do special things in their life is just like going and putting yourself in those places that are uncertain, you know. Just yeah, like, that's like super important. It's just like you have to be able to make hard decisions. And and honestly, you have to be able to make the right decisions too. Like, mm-hmm. like you have to consider everything. You have to and you have to trust yourself. Like you have to trust what like what you think. Don't I feel like a lot of the times people get so influenced by like outside people, like what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. you have to have trust in yourself that like I'm gonna do what's right for me. 
totally. Because it's my life, not somebody else's life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you talked about that Denver was in the back of your mind because they were looking yeah. at you. When did you decide to commit to Denver and then to go to Denver officially? Yeah, so I come back from my senior year and I'm like one of the best players there in, in my high school. I'm like playing sick. Everything is like going super well. So, and weirdly, I'm not getting recruited by all the schools that recruit, like, some of the guys in the year before, like, like Wake Forest, Clemson, uh, I don't know, like, honestly, so many, like, ACC schools, like UCLA, Pac-12 yeah. schools, Washington, all these schools are coming yeah. down. They look at me, and nobody talks to me, and I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, one of the best players on this team, like, what, <laughs> yeah. like, what's happening? Like, and honestly, my coach, like, would tell me, like, oh, some of them don't think you're big enough, some of them don't think, like, mm. they want a big number nine, you know, how that's, like, a stereotype of college soccer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like damn it like I really wish I was getting recruited by a bigger school this kind of sucks so then the the Montverde Academy like soccer tournament which is the the national high school tournament basically I mean this is all high school soccer so it's kind yeah. of it's kind of like not academy soccer so yeah. not many people like look at it yeah but because it's Montverde some people are like oh it's Montverde so we gotta go there okay, so okay. kind of like it's kind of like in between gotcha and then the Montverde, like the tournament comes around, like I blew up. I score, like I won Golden Boot. I won everything. I won Golden Boot MVP. Like I take out every trophy. Like I lift the trophy because I'm the captain. I was like, this gotta be it, right? Some yeah. ACC school is gonna have to talk to me, and nothing. Like playing, huh. nobody talks to me, and I'm like, okay, Denver like really wants me. They keep like calling me. They keep like ringing me. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to visit there. Like see what see what's up. Yeah. So then I go on a visit and like, I love the place. Like I love DU. I mean, you know, you went to yeah. DU as well. Mm-hmm. So I love the place. I loved Jamie. I loved Hopkins. I loved Bobby Muse, who at the time was the coach at DU. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like a really, really, really good like experience. Yeah. And so I'm just like, okay, this is the one visit that I had. I like don't have, I mean, I had other offers as well from like other schools, but yeah. I was just kind of like almost set at DU, but I was like, I'm going to go on a one more visit okay and at this point i don't know anything about like conferences rivalries yeah so i go to a visit at uno who you know oh. is like, use, like biggest rival yeah so i go on a visit at uno and it's like cool it's like super cool they have like brazilian guy brazilian guys show me around show like shows uh. me i'm like oh my god this school is like super fun like their stadium is cool like they have good facilities yeah uh, i'm like I, I don't know anything about like denver or nebraska i don't know the difference because i'm from brazil so i have no clue <laughs> So I'm just like, we're both cold. So, so it's like, was the right choice. like, and at the time, DU wasn't like a top 25 team. DU yeah. was, like, I think they were ranked 91 the year I went there. Okay. So then I'm just like in between these two schools. I have other offers from like VCU. They were like better at the time. I had like West Virginia, Dayton. They were all like, kind of like all right schools. They were yeah. pretty good. But I like something about DU just like made me want to like go there. Wow. Then I'm like, okay, like I'm gonna call them, tell them I want to commit. And when I told them I was going to visit you and no, like they freaked out. They're like, they? oh my god, there's no way. Like this, I can't believe you're doing this to us. Yeah. They're like really cool through the recruiting process. For sure. But then I, I was about to call Bobby Mills and say, hey, I'm gonna commit. And then he calls me like two hours before I'm about to call him. I'm like, oh, something, something's up. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, Andre. Like I'm going. I'm. I decided to take the job at Wake Forest. And I was like, oh, God, like, now DU doesn't want me because Bobby's going to Wake Forest. Like, is he going to try to take me to Wake Forest with him? I yeah. can have a really good friend going to Wake Forest. And then, like, there was kind of talks of, like, him talking to my friend to talk to me to try to get me to Wake Forest. Mm. But then it was, like, Jamie called me, like, two hours later and it was like, dude, we still want you so bad. I'm going to get the head coaching job. I'm confident. Wow. So I, wanna, I want you to come to DU still. 
and then again i was just like faced with this decision of like oh my god this is a new guy at du that i don't know if he knows anything about yeah you know head coach or something like that totally but he like applied for it he got it and i was like super happy that i ended up committing at du yeah it turned out well but at the time that sounds you know like again so unsure about what's going to happen with a new coach yeah. a new team everything like i know i knew they didn't have any brazilians which was i knew it was going to be hard, hard i yeah. knew there was a new head coach they were ranked i think 91 the year before like they they had never won a, an ncaa tournament game so i was just like i'm yeah. one of the best high school players in the country and i can't get like a better school to come for me but i was like i'm gonna give it a shot at you and i mean it's wow. it turned out to be sick yeah. So what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned at DU and especially from Jamie um, and Jamie's style of coaching? Well, you know, if you've heard, Jamie is a very fiery coach. He likes yes. to get his players fired up. You know, he's, he's emotional and he's, he's a lot like me. Like I am like that too. Mm -hmm. I yell on the field. I have to, I say what I have to say. I don't hold back. I used to run into trouble all the time because of like fighting with the teammates and like mm -hmm. being too fiery or trying to get somebody going the wrong way. Yeah. So it was just like kind of hard, uh, I guess, to balance me and Jamie out. Like my freshman year, we used to butt heads all the time. Like he used to go at me. I used to get so mad. Yeah. Like I like they used to always just get after me so hard. I mean, they they knew of my potential, so they were just being so hard on me. Totally. And I just like I was just like oh, I hate this. Like this guy is just always up my ass trying to say something. Always just bugging yeah. me. I was just like, oh my god, is this ever gonna be over? And like I started like my whole freshman year. And I, we had a sick season, but Jamie was really hard on us. Like there was, mm -hmm. like, I remember like some pregame speeches or halftime speeches that I was like, this guy is crazy. Like he's, there's something <laughs> oh, wrong no. with him. But then uh -huh. I got used to it and I was like, dude, I love this guy. Like he's like, yeah. him. So, like we get along super well. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, obviously like my freshman year was good, but we went we, we undefeated, but we lost in the first round. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like that, like, stone in the back of our like heel just like bugging us like we don't we, we can't win in the tournament game and then yeah obviously the second year came and we like made it to the final four so it was like, totally it was dope yeah yeah i know and and just from being you know looking in at your career from the outside and hearing coaches talk about you and everything you were always you know you got a lot of playing time you were super successful and then your senior year you just took off and like everybody yeah was like oh my gosh like he's scoring eight goals a game like crazy stuff so what do you think the switch was for you and you know your senior year soccer wise but also just your mentality approaching that last year yeah so my mentality basically like my first two years were like I gotta get on the field like I gotta yeah. find a way to get on the field like I because even my my sophomore year like half the first half of the year I like didn't even start like mm -hmm. so I was like damn it like I'm not even starting like I have to find a way to get on the field so I was just like hustling on a daily basis to try to get on the field and yeah. we used to play a more defensive style of soccer because I mean you know we had like Courtney Ford who was like one of the best defenders in the country we had yeah. Scott DeVos who was like drafted by Orlando or no it was drafted by somebody I don't remember I think it might have been Orlando actually yeah he got drafted like he like we had two of the best center backs in the country we had Reagan Dunk who was a two-time all-american right back so we really focused on our defense and like not letting people score. Yeah. And so the, our, our, our ideas going forward were very limited. So mm -hmm. I, we didn't score a lot of goals. Like I think we used to win every game by like 1-0. Okay. one was 2-1 was like best game scenario. Like yeah. we, like we yeah. scored two goals in a game. Yeah. So 
I was the leading goal scorer my freshman year with five goals. We had, wow. I had five goals and we went undefeated. So, you know, I we were winning 1-0 every game. Yeah. And then my sophomore year, I led the team again, but with nine goals. So it wasn't exactly. like I was like, we, were, we weren't like producing crazy numbers. Yeah. So then my senior year came around and Jamie was like, you are, we're going to play to you. Like we are going to play in a way that like you are going to be the center of everything. Like I don't, I'm wow. going to take risks in the back because I think we, we, we have the potential to score these goals. Wow. And so we got, a, we got a center back that could play. We got uh, Moshe, who was a sick Israeli mm-hmm. midfielder. Kenny Akamatsu, he was like just taking off. Yeah. And we could play like with uh, Jacob Stenson, who was still there. He used mm-hmm. to play very attacking-wise. So we used to just play the score. And yeah. we, we were taking some risks on defense. And I think that that helped me a lot. And also mm-hmm. on, a, on a personal side of my mentality was like, this is it. If I want to be a pro, I have to blow up. Like I, ha- I literally, I have to, like, there's no way around it. I'm an international. I'm a senior. I'm already kind of old. So I literally have to do something that nobody else does. Otherwise they'll yeah. just pick another guy on the draft. Yeah. And I was just kind of, that mentality drove me all throughout the off season of just like, I'm going to be different this year. Like I, I we're, we're going to be sick. Like I'm going to be different. Yeah. And then so I just, just like just self-belief and, Sorry, keep going. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, self-belief is like I was obsessed with like being the best. Yeah. Kind of like how it was when I was at Mount Verde for that like span of six months. I was back. I was like, dude, I'm going to be the best. I was with Matt Shaw like every single day. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody knows who Matt Shaw is, but he's the (laughs) strength and conditioning coach at DU. I was going to him every single day. I was working so hard in the weight room. I was like, I'm going to become stronger. I'm going to become faster. Like this year is going to be different. Yeah. And then it paid off. I mean, you can't expect to have a season like I had and just start working like a month before. I put in like seven, eight months of work for that mm-hmm. season, for that moment. And yeah. then when it came to me, I was like ready. And, and yeah. me, I, got a little bit, I got a little bit of luck. Like some goals shouldn't have gone in. The keepers helped me. But it's just, it happens. When you're ready yeah. for it and the opportunity comes and you're just like, you, there's nothing else. You know, I knew there was nothing else I could have done. I knew that was my all. Yeah. So, that's when I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is going to be my year. Yeah. So you attributed a lot to just being prepared and working your butt off, you know, in the weight room, on the field, everything else. Cause I think a lot of people always ask about confidence and you, you keep mm-hmm. talking about, you know, how you, you knew it was going to be your year. You had to do this, but a lot of people would be like, but what if I don't feel ready? And I think you just, you, you called it out there. It's all the work that you did that nobody yeah. else saw. And that's one of the biggest lessons I learned with Jamie. He's just like, you guys want to be confident, but you don't want to do what it takes to be confident. Mm -hmm. And confidence doesn't come from like, oh my God, like I am good looking and I am (laughs) this or that. It just, it comes from being prepared and having like you, you, I had seen every possible scenario in college soccer. I played three years. I'd seen what it looks like. I knew where the holes were. I knew like I would scout every team before the game by myself. I would go on Insta and look at their games. Wow. I was literally obsessed. And I think that that's why I, when I went to play the game, I was confident because I knew I had done everything right to prepare wow. for that game. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons why Jamie was just like, yeah, you guys talk about like Andre being crazy and like getting on everybody, but like, he's the one, the game comes and he like, he, yeah. he's the best player in the game. Like, what are you going to, what are you going to say? Yeah. There's nothing you can say about him. Like the guys, like Jimmy would call me crazy all the time. He's like, the guy is crazy. Like, yeah. Puts you guys in like, he like goes crazy on you guys, he yells at you guys. But when the game comes, he's the best player. So like, what am I gonna do? Like, I, yeah. you guys don't give me anything. So it yeah. was just like that. I was being obsessed. I was like, if you're gonna be in my way of winning, 
then you're out. Like you, I would mm-hmm. literally just ship you out. Yeah. So it was just like how I was. That that's those whole six, seven months, we kicked like three guys off the team. It was like, yeah, was like maybe like this is not working. Like we need to do something. Like you know, I would always be trying to get better and better. I mean, eventually, like it, it paid off. Like that year was a, a dope year. Yeah, that's so true. And I think you could probably attest to this, but I think in the environment, in the college environment to be successful, and then especially at the pro level, there has to be that element of like yeah. crazy. You have to be a yeah, little you have crazy. To be somewhat crazy. Like, yeah. You have, to have some type of self, something, something self confidence about you. Yeah. Like, you have to just think that you're good. You have to know you're good. You have to do everything that you can to like feel, to have that in the back of your head. Otherwise, totally. you're going to get eaten alive in a professional locker room. Yeah. Yeah. So going into pro, how did, how did the draft go for you? And did you know you're going to get picked up? Did you know you're going to be still in Colorado? How did that all go for you? So I knew that I was, so I was one of the pre-signed seniors. There was, I think me and one more guy, which basically okay. means, you know, you're going to get drafted and you don't, oh, have awesome. to worry, you don't have to worry about basically going into the draft and then getting a contract after gotcha. preseason. So I, okay. I had already known that. So I went into the combine knowing that because nice. that only happens when the, you have 10 plus teams that say, we'll pick him if he's available. Oh, wow. So that's just kind of like how it happens. That's nice. So I, had, I was pre-signed. So I was like so happy. Like when I pre-signed, I was like, yes, like this is the, like, I already know what's happening. Like this is yeah. great. And one of the reasons I was like, I might drop on the draft because I'm international and nobody mm. wants to pick an international or not nobody, but it's way harder to be picked yeah. as an international. Yeah. It was like, good. I had to score 28 goals. I scored 28 goals. Like, I did everything right. So now I'm ready to go. Like yeah. I, got, I got signed, so I'm, I'm ready. So then combine time is a sick place. We go to Orlando. It's like we play on the stadium. Everything is good. Hmm. And you have, like, you have meetings with teams. Not many people know that about the combine. But you have a hmm. list of teams that you get on your schedule. So at 3 p.m., you're talking to Chicago. 4 p.m., you're talking wow. to San Jose. And you just go in a, like a room full of their coaches and you speak with them for like 30 minutes or an hour or 20 minutes or 10. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So you, you have to, they, they want to interview you because they're interested. Okay. So I, I have interviews with the, with teams that have like the picks two, three, four, five, like, and then 20, 21, and then like 15. It was like, I had a bunch of different teams that were interested. I think it was, Dallas, Rebel, Columbus, Chicago, Rapids, yeah. uh, San Jose. It was like a bunch of teams. Yeah. Then the, the draft is coming, and I have no idea where I'm going to end up. I just know that Colorado has the 15th pick. Okay. And what they tell me is, like, if we can pick you there, we're going to pick you. And they tell me that the first day of the combine because okay. I was kind of late, so I didn't play in the first game. Okay. And they tell me, like, they make, they make a joke of, like, I hope you, I hope you do really bad so that we can pick you with the 15th pick. <laughs> like, please play really bad so that we can get you. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do that, but whatever. <laughs> then I play in the second game of the, or the last game of the comment because there was only two games. Like I scored like five minutes in. I'm like, oh, like this is the dream. Like I'm going to go high. Like yeah. gonna, there's no way Colorado's getting me the 15th pick. I'm talking yeah. to my agent. He's like, no chance. Like you're going to yeah. go top 10, like at worst. Yeah. I'm like, okay, like that's pretty good. But you never know. Like people say stuff, but you don't, you have no idea what's actually going to happen. Yeah. And so I had interviews with like picks two, three, four, and five. So I was like, okay, more, more likely I'm going to go with one of those. Yeah. And so I get to the, to get the draft day and 
you just you don't know what's going on and you're just there and it's like pick one and it's not you and you're like okay like let's yeah and it's like it's so nerve-wracking because then they take timeouts and they take their time yeah and you're just sweating in the suit like freaking out like, <laughs> and then the it was pick number five and it was chicago and i was like okay like if i don't go if i don't get the pick number five yeah no other team interviewed me until pick 15. oh wow so i was like i don't know maybe a team that hasn't interviewed me will pick me like i yeah. don't really know what's going on and then the guy is like we have our the guy don garber announces we have our first trade and then oh, Corey, yeah. who's the gm for the rapids starts looking at my agent laughing and then <laughs> my agent's like Andre, like this has got to be you i think it's you and then he gets yeah. a text like 15 seconds before they announce it's like Andre, it's you, and I'm just there, like trying not to like make a face so the cameras don't see me. Okay. <laughs> like my family is freaking out next to me because they know it's me. I was like, oh my oh. god, this is crazy! Like, what's gonna happen? And then they announce and they say my name, and it's just like they announce the trade. They say it's Colorado. I get to stay in Denver. I like, I had a girlfriend at the time. Like we were like we were super happy. Like she, I was like, I'm staying with her. Oh I don't have gosh. to move around. I don't have to buy another house. I don't have to go rent another apartment. It yeah. was honestly like everything that I could have asked for. So oh. it, was, it was a sick experience for sure. That's crazy. That would definitely be like a dream come true for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was weird because it was like the odds are so low of that happening. But yeah. How it, it turned out that happened. So cool. So how was your first year? How did you approach your first year coming in as a rookie again? You know, you came off a hot year at Denver. You were, you know, probably part of the leadership team there. And then now... You're starting at the bottom again, basically. So how did that go for yeah, you? Yeah, that was, that was super weird. And I definitely had to, like, learn how to be – try to impact the game without as being as much, like, vocal and without, like, influencing as many players. It's almost like you kind of just have – you have to be good for yourself. And, yeah. like, it's it was super weird because you're in a locker room full of, like, stars like, like Kai Kamara, Tim Howard, um, like, Jack Price. You have – Diego Rubio you have so many Benny Fellhaber like we had so mm -hmm. many stars on the team and I'm just there I get there and nobody thinks anything of me they're like dude you're just a college player like you're not gonna come here and play like they don't mm -hmm. believe that yeah but the one thing that uh, Anthony Hudson he was the head coach at the time he was like you have two options dude you already signed you don't have anything to worry about so either you can go out and get the respect of these guys or you can just let them like do whatever they want to you and I like took that to heart. I was like, no, there's no way these guys are going to disrespect me. Like I'm going to yeah. like, like do what I need to do to earn their respect. Mm -hmm. And I like came in flying, like whole off season working out, didn't go to Brazil, spent Christmas here in America by myself, New Year's Eve here in America by myself. Like I was locked wow. in and like, coming, coming into the Rapids and being super ready. And it paid, paid off. I was buzzing in preseason. I was one of the fittest guys. Like I was playing, I was playing really well because everybody came from a long off season and I came from a really short one. So I was just like, I'm buzzing, like I'm doing really well. But then I start to like get ahead of myself a little bit, like try to like, like already like be vocal and like yell and things like that. Yeah. And there was this one day where I, I was uh, in training and I was on Tim's team and he was like, we lose five to four. I score all four goals. So I'm buzzing. Right? I'm like, Oh my God, this is the time where I just get, get at someone. And I'm like, I yell something like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is like, this is BS or something. Uh -huh. And Tim Howard just pulls me by my shirt and turns me. He's like, who the 
uh, you think you are, like you are nothing, like you haven't accomplished absolutely nothing. You you think just because you're a good college player that you're going to do anything for us, like you need to like get your head like out of your bent, like just cursing, yeah. cursing me, like yelling, like spit coming on my face. I'm just like, oh my God, like my life is over. Like if Tim doesn't like me, I will never play. No. <laughs> crazy. That's crazy. So I was like, oh my God, like I am so screwed. Uh -huh. So then I go home. I'm like, I would go, go to the, like, whatever, the hotel. It's preseason. I have nowhere to go. It's like, yeah. we're stuck in Chula Vista. Oh. I'm just like sitting there like, oh my God, this is terrible. And then Anthony Hudson, who is the coach, comes to me. He's like, Tim did that because like, he's looking out for you. Like, trust me, like Tim, like actually like likes and cares about you. And I was like, no, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> like, these guys are trying to make me feel better or whatever. But then Benny Felhaber, who is also Brazilian, we always talk. He comes to me. He's like, dude, Like, that was a good le learning lesson for you. Like, you have to learn that how that's how it is in, in the pro game and stuff. Yeah. So, whatever. So, that those stories are just, like, kind of how, like, I had to relearn how to impact the team without, like, really yelling and yeah. just doing my job. Like, my job at DU was to do my job and take care of 20 other guys. Yep. My job at the Rapids was to take care of myself and myself only and make sure I was the best version. So, just yeah. knowing yeah. what role you play is, like, super important. And then yeah. two months later, after that happened, or three months later, Tim gets, a, gets gives an interview on Extra Time, and he gives me a personal shout out. He goes like, "We have this kid called Andre Shinishiki. He just we just got drafted. He just mm -hmm. like he just we just drafted him, and we need more players like him who just want to win at every every cost." And huh. it just gives me like this huge compliment. Like yeah. he didn't, the question wasn't even about me, and he just like gives me this huge shout out and. Huh. I was just like, like, damn, like this guy like really likes me and like really sees a future for me. Yeah. And so yeah. I just, I was just like, yeah, like that's just kind of how it is sometimes. That's his way of protecting his players. So yeah, just like then like to the, like to me, he will do what he needs to do, you know, to kind of put me in my place, but to the outside world and to the media, like he's showing that he really cares about me. So like, I thought it was like super cool. Yeah, that's cool. And it sounds like, I mean, from my experience so far it's just like it's kind of a roller coaster of emotions oh, yeah. <laughs> everything you know everything you go through with interactions with teammates and people that you've looked up to for your whole life and and then you know having really great days and some days where it's like how do you get through that roller coaster and just kind of stay consistent with with your the hardest part about about playing professional sports yeah. is because one week you're player of the week the next week you're like we're gonna trade this guy because he sucks So it's just like, it's just, I think that what you said about having that belief in yourself that you can always turn a situation around yeah. and just always know that there's tomorrow. Like if you did bad mm -hmm. today, there's tomorrow. And even yeah. on a smaller basis, there's always the next play. You, you messed up on a play. There's always next play where you can do something better. Totally. And that don't necessarily mean you have to score a banger for every one you missed, but connect the pass, like get your confidence back and then try to do something harder. Yeah. So to me, that's how I deal with it. It's just thinking about every single play and every single day. Like you're not gonna have good days every day. It's impossible. Yeah. How you react, not to let it one good day turn into two bad days, turn into a bad week or a bad month. It's the it's the most important thing for me. Totally. I think that's huge for anything we do. You know, I think you know having that perspective is the only thing that's gonna keep you on track and and dealing with those crazy emotions for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not easy. Like, it's definitely not easy, especially when you have guys that you've looked, looked up to your entire life, like, 
young. I know, like, in Orlando, there's a bunch of, like, star players. Like, I know yeah. Marta played for Orlando and stuff. So, for sure. Like, how do you, like, react when, when they are yelling at you something or when they you feel like they don't like you at a personal level? Yeah. It's so hard, but yeah, it's part of, it's part of like, why the game is so beautiful and those diversities and those different ways of thinking are, like, super important. Yeah, totally. And And for me, from my point of view, just so far, it's, like, this time away from the team because of quarantine has made me think a little bit more about the situation that I was in because like, yeah, I'm playing with people that I've looked up to forever. Like I'm playing every single day with Ashlyn Harris and she's somebody I've looked up to forever. And we just have such different personalities. And for a little bit, I almost found myself kind of trying to emulate her, not goalkeeping wise, but personality wise. And just Mm -hmm. kind of realizing like everybody has their own style and everybody has their own way of playing, you know, is that yeah, something yeah, that you yeah. kind of went through? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that when I first got there, like I had a very, do you has a, we have a very like positive mentality of hard work and dedication, not complaining, just sticking to whatever it is. And when I got there, I mean, my, one of my best friends that I've made is Benny Philhaber. And that guy complains about every single thing. Like if the broccoli is like steamed, not cooked, like he will have a complaint. So I started to be like, oh, my God, Benny's complaining about everything, so I'm going to complain too. But I'm like, Benny's got, like, multiple caps for the national team. He's played in Europe. He's made a career for himself. He's won MLS Cups. He's, like, yeah. the best. Like, he, he can't complain. I haven't done anything. So who am I to think that I can complain? So yeah. I just, like, those thoughts are going through my head, like, constantly. And just, I guess, really try – because, you know, I do believe that you you will, like, be – impacted by your environment but i think that you're like really your roots and what you value they they all have they they, you just have to stick to that i mean you can always be affected to some extent for example we had we were in an 09 and 2 last year when we started the season Mm -hmm. we were like the worst start in mls history it was us there is no way you're going to be able to be positive all the time it's impossible yeah like everything is negative we're changing coaches the fans hate us Everybody makes fun of us. The commentators are like, this is the worst team in the history of, like, MLS. So then you're like, like, you're going to be impacted by that. Yeah. But just really sticking to what you believe is right is important because that year we ended up turning around past almost six teams, almost made the playoffs. Yeah. So it's just, like, knowing, like, that what your values are is, like, super important as well. Totally. I totally agree. All right. Last two questions. I always end with these. I think, you know, you brought us through your journey and there's a lot of lessons to learn there. Um, But one of my last questions is if you could go back um, to when you started playing soccer, when you're in Brazil, what are one or two, one or two things that you would tell yourself with everything that you've gone through and that you know now? I think I used to really doubt myself a lot of the times, like uh growing up I was to always just be unsure about myself about how good I was about if I could play if, about like all those things and I guess something I would tell me is just like believe in yourself a little bit more and all mm-hmm. all and it's so hard to do because I wasn't really doing the things that I had to do to believe in myself yeah. but I just think that if I was if I felt more prepared if I believed in myself a little bit more if I worked a little bit harder like I would have saved myself a lot of nights that I didn't sleep because I used to be so worried about, oh my God, is this going to work? Is, am yeah. I good enough? And I do think that this is not just for when I was in back in Brazil, even when I was at DU, like mm-hmm. I knew I was so good and I just wouldn't be able to play up to my potential because I used to doubt myself so much. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that I only realized that my senior year. And then even when I got to the MLS, like those thoughts started creeping in again. Yeah. And then I ended I up winning like rookie of the year. And it's like, yeah. dude, you are good enough. Like you have to believe that you have to trust that. And, and that's when, that's one of the things, I guess it's my biggest like lesson. Totally. Do two things or just one? I don't that's, remember. That's a great one. We'll stick with that one. That's a good one. Okay, my last question is, if you didn't have soccer, I know soccer is a big part of our lives, um, but what are, what's the legacy that you would want to leave outside of the game? Outside of the game, that's, that's hard. Andre. Soccer is just, yeah. I know. I mean, I, it's a hard question. That's a good, good question. Because soccer, yeah, soccer takes up so much of our life that yeah. it's hard to imagine what my legacy would be without soccer. Totally. But I guess if I didn't have soccer, what I wanted to be remembered. And honestly, most people, I feel like that I care to leave a legacy to, which are people that are close to me, don't necessarily associate me with soccer. They associate me with my person. Yeah. But I just always want to be remembered a person that was like trustworthy and loyal and just that yeah. cared about people. I mean, I try to help as many people as I can. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of friends in Brazil that I try to help. I have a lot of people in my life in general that I try to just give advice to. And I know that not everybody's fortunate like I was to, you know, have the, just the game is giving me so much and mm -hmm. I'm able to impact so many people because of the game yeah. and not necessarily in soccer. I just impact them in their lives in general, outside of completely outside of, of the sport. So I guess that's what my biggest thing is. My legacy yeah. is just, I remember is the guy that cared about other people and, that was really willing to go the extra mile to, to just help people in general. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think it was super cool to just hear your story and all the lessons that you've learned along the way. And I think it'll be super helpful for a lot of people listening. So thank yeah, you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. And, you know, thank you for the time. That's of course. Great. Thank you so much again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Again, if you did, please screenshot this, share it on any of your social media outlets. It would help us just grow the podcast, and it means so much to me. Again, if you haven't subscribed, please do that now. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this story inspires you to go out, live your story, and don't be afraid to share it.